Our mind is the battlefield. When you hear that statement, or think about that statement, as soon as you hear that, do you feel like that's you? Do you feel like that you're the target of that comment? Is it something you struggle with on a regular basis? Do you have baggage in your past that makes you feel like that you cannot get past it in your walk with Christ? Well, today on Connecting the Gap, we're gonna talk about our mind being the battlefield and we're gonna be back right after this. Hey guys, welcome back to Connecting the Gap. I'm Daniel Moore, and thank you so much for joining me again for this week's podcast. I uh, have kind of a deep subject today that we're going to be talking about, and it just so happens that here recently in the news, a uh, mass shooting happened, and it kind of went right along with the subject that I was talking about this week. And it's kind of crazy how that happened, but it, it just kind of adds to the drama of the whole situation, how important it is that we need to get control of our mind and our thoughts and the things that Satan tries to put into our minds on a daily basis. But first of all, thank you for joining me today. You can go to connectingthegap.net, get access to all these podcasts from there. I also have a link for my YouTube channel where I have a lot more studies on there besides just what's on my podcast. And so you can go check all of those out as well. Please subscribe to YouTube, subscribe to my podcast and share me. Uh, anybody that you think might be able to take advantage of these studies or these discussions each week, please share me and we just all together can make a difference. So thank you guys so much for faithfully listening each week or watching, whatever the case may be, as I do these podcasts each and every week. So this week is the mind is the battlefield. And I know a lot of times as Christians, whenever we come out of sin, uh, we've been through things. We've been places. We've done stuff. We have baggage. We have situations where we've been through things in our life that we don't really necessarily want other people to know about. We try to keep them hidden. But in all reality, those are battle scars and those are battles won that we should be proud of. And we should also let other people know that you're not alone in this situation. If, if it was a sexual addiction or if it was an anger or alcoholism or whatever it might be that you have fought in your life and is haunting you to this day, if you have defeated that, there's other people out there that haven't. They could definitely benefit from your testimony if you would just speak up and open up about where you've came from. We're all flawed, broken people. It does not matter if we're a sinner, if we're a Christian or whatever, we've come from the same sinful nature and we've came from the same places a lot of times from the same conditions the difference is we've allowed god to come in and change us but then that starts a whole new battlefield at that point because satan knows our weaknesses he knows that if we had a sex addiction or a porn addiction um, alcoholism drugs whatever it may be he knows that's our weak point and that's what he's going to attack and so this week uh, as we get into the subject of our mind being a battlefield i want to share a story with you I put a picture here on the screen of a 21-year-old young man. His name is Robert Allen Long. Robert Aaron Long is his name. Get that correct. Uh, he went into some parlors here this last week, some massage parlors, and he ended up killing eight. He shot eight people, 
Uh, six of those were of Asian descent. The other two victims were white. And he killed the majority of those victims. So the reason with them being Asian when they first saw this happen, they automatically assumed this was a racial motivated crime. However, he tells the cops emphatically that this was not a racial motivated crime. It was actually driven by sexual addiction. One of the first times I've ever heard of this happening. So as the story goes, Atlanta massage parlor shooting suspect, 21 year old Robert Aaron Long took full responsibility for a series of shootings this last Tuesday night Officials said, adding that Long may not have targeted the parlors out of a racially motivated animus, but because he wanted to end his addiction. In a string of shootings, eight people were killed, including six of Asian descent. The other two were white. Cherokee County Sheriff Frank Reynolds told reporters that Long was apparently a frequent visitor at the massage parlors prior to his shooting spree. The suspect had been interviewed, which indicated that he has some issues, potentially sexual addiction, he may have frequented some of these places in the past, he said, adding that allegedly the gunman sought to eliminate the temptation by committing acts of violence against them. Reynolds added that the indicators right now are it may not be, it may be targets of opportunity. Again, they believe that he frequented these places in the past and may have been lashing out. Atlanta Police Chief Rodney Bryant also said the officers are just not there yet about whether the shooting was racially motivated. But what's crazy about this is, whether if it's racially motivated or whatever, he's saying that it was from his sex addiction. And a, uh, a friend was reportedly saying that he was aware that he was on his way to Florida, and he was thinking maybe he was on his way to shoot up some type of porn industry um, before the deputies arrested him. So I found this to be very interesting, to say the least. I know a lot of people get these addictions and they have a hard time shaking those and getting rid of those. Um, I had somewhat of a, a pornography addiction when I was younger and they're very difficult to get over. It takes the grace of God and the blood of Jesus to get us past all of those. So scripture I want to share with you right now as we get into this discussion for today in Matthew chapter 12 verse 43 through 45 it says when an unclean spirit comes out of a person it roams through waterless places looking for rest but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, even more evil than itself. And they enter in and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than his first. That's how it would also be with this evil generation. This scripture here, many people use this to caution Christians but the context of the scripture is actually of rejecting Christ, is what the scripture is talking about. Where it reads that the unclean spirit leaves for a time, but when he returns, he finds that Christ is not there to shut him out. The heart is swept by outward reformation, so the, the, the person has changed their lifestyle. They've appeared to clean up. They have t tried to take themselves away from these situations and these things that they have been involved in before but they hadn't really allowed Christ in. They had tried to do this all on their own. So they did not have a good solid foundation to fight this battle when these evil spirits return. And the man becomes a more decided enemy of the truth. Every heart is the residence of unclean spirits, except those which are temples of the Holy Ghost by faith in Christ. That's a statement from Matthew Henry. So if we do not have Christ in us, 
then what is that being replaced with? If we don't allow Christ in, then obviously we are living the life that Satan wants us to live, and he will put his his evil spirits inside of us to dwell because we become a home for that if, if we don't have the Holy Ghost there to replace them. So there's a very important principle that we can learn from this. First of all, we must fill our hearts with the things of God. The demons returned and found this heart void of God, void of truth. No good parallel has been cited for the journeying in waterless places, but the imagery is probably based on the idea that the demons will move naturally in realms where conditions are antithetical to human well-being and devoid of the blessing of God. That was a statement made by John Noland. With this statement that John made, Noland is spot on. Demonic activity will move naturally in realms where conditions are opposed to our well-being and devoid of the blessings of God. They look for and they feed on environments where God is absent, such as our entertainment choices. Most of today's entertainment choices hinder our relationship with God. We either provide fertile ground for Satan to work or fertile ground for the things of God to grow inside of us. There's only one way or the other in how we position our lives to become in the future. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, it tells us not to give the devil a foothold. A foothold is a secure position that allows him to make further progress. If we give him a spot in our life and try to keep the rest for God, Satan, as the old statement goes, you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Satan will take that foothold and he'll try to, to integrate himself back into your life even more extreme than he was before. And he will hinder you from any progress that you've ever made. Matter of fact, you'll probably start going backwards because he'll end up taking more and more and more slowly and slowly and surely if you are not careful with that. Our mind is our battlefield. Everything that happens within our life, the things that we do, the things that we think, a lot of that starts up here in our head. We pray and ask God to do something, but we often forget that it's our responsibility to obey. So we, we pray to God and we say, God, you know, come and deliver me from this. Take this thing away from me. Take this thorn out of my side or whatever. And then we expect him to do all the work. We don't go on our own and try to research the word and start praying and getting on our knees and, and filling our minds with the things of God instead of things of the world. We have responsibilities Yet in a lot of ways, I think that we feel like that we are reliant and dependent on God. God is there for us. He, he wants us to be dependent and to rely on Him for things, but He also gives us a responsibility as well to change, and we have to do that. We must do our part with what He's called us to do, but we can't do His. It's a two-part situation whenever it comes to us changing our lives. When we abandon God's plan for our lives, we abandon his covering, his shelter, his protection. How can we position ourselves in the will of God and not give the devil a foothold? It's a very hard thing to do sometimes because if we are so used to just doing things that are wrong and we're so used to looking at things we're not supposed to be or we're look, so used to being in those, those temptations and those things that have a hold on our life, it's hard to get away from those sometimes when that becomes our normal. And we have to figure out how, how do we get past that and allow God to come inside of us and to do that. Well, there's a few ways that you can get past this, this first step of moving into God's realm and getting out of Satan's and getting these evil spirits out of your life. First of all, number one is exposed sin. Skin grow, sin grows and flourishes in the dark. 
but it loses power and influence when it's exposed. If you try to hide your sins and try to act like nothing's wrong, you have no accountability whatsoever in that. You're the only one between you and God that knows what's going on. And within our own selves, a lot of times, if it's easy for us if we hide things to just keep letting that type of a lifestyle continue. And we will not do anything about those sins if nobody else knows about them. There's a website called Setting Captives Free. It says, when your sin is hidden, many things happen. First, there's deception in that you can handle this yourself. And what is that? That's pride. Whenever we look at things and we say, okay, this is all me. I've got this. I can do this without God's help. That's the pride inside of us that we need to defeat because we can't do a lot of things on our own. We have to let God in and allow his plan to manifest and take its place in our life. When we are at that point, we no longer to look to the Lord for help. Then there is shame because we are living a deceptive dual life. On the outside, it looks like we are living for God. We're doing things for him. We're going to church. We're reading the Bible. We're praying. We're doing, you know, marking off all the check boxes. And everybody looks at us and says, wow, that is a good, upstanding Christian person. But inside and in the dark, in the places where nobody else sees, we may still be doing those things that we're not supposed to be. And that becomes a dual life, and it's very stressful on us, and it's not a good place to be in. It's a very dangerous place to be. Eventually, we get to the point where we cannot even look another Christian in the eye because their lifestyle convicts us. One online contributor to Setting Captives Free wrote, Because of the overwhelming shame and guilt I felt, I ran to alcohol to numb myself because I didn't want to feel the very things the Lord was using to get my attention. My heart began to get harder and harder. Sin is debilitating, exhausting, and paralyzing. And I think a lot of times we've all been to those, those spots in our life where there, it seems like there's no hope. It seems like no matter what we try to do, we take one step forward, we end up taking four or five steps backwards. That's not a good place to be in. But fortunately, there is a way out of that. Number one, safeguards keep us from falling and from failing. Safeguards are guardrails through the canyons of life is the way that I like to look at that. Drastic change sometimes requires drastic measures. When people fall, it's often because they use a baby gate to guard a lion. You put a baby gate up, those things, you blow on them and they'll fall over. Especially these new plastic ones that you try to wedge between two walls, they won't stay up for nothing. Um, but he's, that's kind of what we do sometimes. Um, if we have a huge problem and we try to solve it with a little mi minor, small, minuscule resolution. It doesn't happen that way. We can be quick to repent, but unless safeguards are in place, we're going to fall again. Once a person goes back to sin, life doesn't get better. It may at first, in our own minds, because one of the enemy's deceptions is to delay the consequences. He'll let sin happen for a season, and it seems like everything's going great, but then someday it catches up with you. He delays that to make it look like it's the right thing to do. And then it, all of a sudden, wham, it's right there in our face. Eventually, the last state of the man is worse than the first that we just read in the scripture there. That's where that comes into play. You were bad to a certain point before. You tried to change your life. You didn't. You let it come back in, and the second time it's... It seems like it's so much worse. And each time you do that, it continually drags you down deeper and deeper. So here's a few helpful suggestions that you can apply in your life. And this is just one of many. There's many ways that you can do this, but these are probably the most common. First of all, if, you, if it's a children or a child in your home that's having this issue, there are apps that do allow you as a parent 
to monitor messages that kids send via text, email, uh, the websites that they go to, all that kind of thing. And of course, you're probably saying, well, what about freedom and privacy and all that kind of thing? Well, there is a healthy level of freedom and privacy that we shouldn't infringe on, but accountability isn't infringement. We have to keep our kids accountable for what they do. There's also apps that monitor unaccounted time. Sadly, we don't always want change bad enough. We enjoy freedom without responsibility. There's also website accountability available that can send all the websites visited to your spouse or to a friend. So that's one way that you can try to whip this and defeat this thing in your life is by utilizing technology in your technology. Because we know right now that technology is one of our, our biggest problems out there. It, anything and everything is just available right there in your fingertips. A second way, checking in with those who love you and will help is also another great safeguard. Keep in mind that true friends build you up. They don't tear, they don't tear you down. If friends, quote unquote, are influ influencing you to drink, supplying you with addictive medications or drugs, emailing or texting porn, or causing you to stumble in any way, they are not friends. You may think they are, but they are not. They are pulling you away from God. They are destroying the very foundation, the very being of who God's created you to be, and you need to eliminate and cut those relationships off in your life. You need to flee, as the Bible says, flee from it. You know, Joseph is a perfect example of this. When Potiphar's wife came upon him and tried to get him to sleep with her, he turned and left his coat in her hands and took off running and fled from that. That's what you need to do with these relationships. If you have friends or family or whoever it may be that's trying to pour these things into your life and, and keep that pipeline running of this stuff that Satan's wanting you to stumble on, you need to end those relationships. Myself, I'd rather be lonely and loving God than have friends who pull me away from Him. That's just my perception of the whole thing. I, I would much rather to be in that con condition. And there's a statement here that an old preacher once said, I'd rather be lonely going up than have company going to hell. And you know, it's probably uh, a little uh, extreme there maybe, but it's the truth. You know, uh, we stand accountable before God by ourselves. We're the only ones that account for the things that we do. And I would rather be going up to know that I'm going to pass that accountability with flying colors than have buddies and whoever going with me to hell for eternity up to down there. I would not want that. The third thing is avoid triggers that motivate sin. Some practical examples involve avoiding the internet when alone or turning a lonely Friday or Saturday night into a night of worship, prayer, and study of God's Word. You know, there's a lot of churches that have church on Saturday nights now. Uh, some of it's because of their size, but some of it too, it just... For the weekends, it gives someone something to be able to go do, and you can get some things, you know, of God into your mind, and that kind of thing on those Saturday evenings when a lot of times we might be just sitting at home watching some TV or whatever, and being on our own. And for those of those of that have those problems with keeping their mind clear and the clarity of the mind, it's not a good thing to be by yourselves on those weekends like that, and have Satan sit there and just attack you constantly trying to get you to mess up. You can wake up in the morning filled with the Spirit versus waking up depressed and suicidal. You'll go to bed with God on your mind versus waking up and not remembering what happened. It's always good to keep the things of God in you, to keep your mind on the things of God, and to replace the things in your life that Satan's trying to taint you with with the things of God. 
Lastly, avoid places that fuel lust. And you know, this isn't rocket science. This is just common sense when you think about these problems that you may have. In Romans 8, 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. You know, how do you spend your time and money? What's the things that you pour into? This speaks volumes about what you truly cherish in your life. If you look at those areas of your life and how you handle that, do you put it into the things of God or the things of the world? You know, that's a good good way to look at all of that. Um, I've told several people that came up to me that's had issue with, um, you know, pornography and that kind of thing. Um, when they get by themselves and that, that uh, temptation starts in, I always tell them, defeat that. Open up your, your phone app and go to a sermon and sit there and watch sermons or open some praise and worship. Get your Bible out. Get on your knees and pray. Always counteract those attacks Satan puts in your life with something godly the way that God would want you to do it. And if you make those steps forward and take them and allow God to work in your life, he will help you defeat that sin and those temptations that Satan puts upon you. He, he does not put anything upon us that we are not going to be able to handle that he can't be there to help us through it. And that scripture a lot of times is kind of, look, it's taken out of context um, and I want you to know this when I say that scripture. It's not that God, it's not that you're not going to have things in your life that are too much for you. There are things sometimes we go through that's literally too much for us. And God does allow that to happen. But He will never allow it to happen to the extent that He's not there to help us through it. And that He has the power and the tools that we need to defeat those things in our life. And I think that's what's so awesome about God. Because if, if Satan comes and tries to do things, we can always put some things of God in the place of that and solve, the, solve those problems through his spirit, through his grace, and through a life transformed. So don't think for a minute that your mind, the battlefields that you wage in there are don't matter. Don't think for a minute that the problems that you come up against when Satan's trying to trip you up and trying to cause you to do things in your life that you shouldn't, that they don't matter. All of that stuff does matter. It matters for our eternity. And God does his part, but we have to do our part also. He will give us the freedom. He will give us the salvation, the forgiveness that we need from anything that we've ever done. It does not matter what it is. He will forgive us and give us that eternal life, but we have to manually take those steps forward our own selves as well. Then those two relationships, the relationship of God and our relationship with God, collides and it becomes a strong force in our life that allows us to defeat these battlefields that go on in our mind. So there's a lot more studying that can be done on this. It's time for me to quit for today. I've actually went a little bit longer than I intended, Um, but this is an excellent thing to dig into the word on if you're fighting this. There's lots of studies online, good ones that you can get a hold of. Please keep digging in and keep defeating those battles that Satan tries to put you through and seek God. God will never let you down, ever. So I'm out of here for today. Hope you guys got something from that. Uh, keep the family in prayer of the shooter and that I talked about earlier and then all the families that have lost loved ones. Um, you know, God still loves the shooter. It's hard to think that whenever we see stuff like that happen, but he does. He wants to see him turn his life around and we need to keep all that whole situation in prayer. Again, connectingthegap.net is my website. I've got podcasts on there, and then my YouTube channel address is on there as well. Uh, please subscribe. 
and follow me. I usually do this once a week. And I appreciate you guys stopping by and joining me this week and taking your time out uh, to join me with a little bit more Bible study here on Connecting the Gap. Well, I'm leaving, and I will see you next week.